Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott. Lay some up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at song! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 131 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Brew and Scott McLaughlin. And the Bruins are off to an 11-2 start following their loss up in Toronto. Uh, they defeated the St. Louis Blues 3-1 to at TD Garden on Monday night. We're going to get into the release of Mitchell Miller uh, and the saga that was, because although Scott and I discussed it last podcast, Bridget was doing a wonderful job doing play-by-play for, uh, for college hockey. So we'll get her take on it as well. First, um, Bridget Scott, phenomenal uh, Pooh Bear jerseys tonight. What were your takeaways from the game? Well, mostly, yes. mostly jersey related. Yeah, Pooh Bear jerseys, great. At, from someone who wasn't a fan of the originals, uh, looks very sharp on white. Uh, and and Scott's and, trying to get that sweatshirt. I did, yeah. So like the team trainers had a uh, sweatshirt, white sweatshirts that they were wearing with the Pooh Bear on them. And I, I don't buy like team apparel anymore because you know media has to be unbiased. But man, those those white sweatshirts, those popped. Like I, I, I could wear one of those. It um, made me excited for Meth Bear. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, okay, I think that's true. Yeah, I, I maybe I gotta like wait to see see what kind of apparel they come out with with Meth Bear. Um, yeah, yeah. As as Brad Marchand said on Nesson, uh, Bruins have have a lot of twos, and they look like tens in, in the Pooh Bear jersey. <laughs> that's an all time like. Yeah, great that's... line from him because he's got some good ones, and you never know what he's gonna say. But that one was hilarious. Yeah, he got Razor to crack up. Oh yeah, he broke up like as a as a like broadcaster. You try not to laugh at that stuff, but he was so shocked when he heard him say that that he just like his mouth just was like wide open like what? But it was hilarious. So credit credit to him. So. 
it can make us twos look like tens if we if we wear it, I guess. But anyway, that was a lot about the Pooh Bears. Um, we're happy about them. Everybody is because, you know, they're one for one when they're wearing the Pooh Bears. So um, anyhow, uh, kind of a, a slow game in a lot of ways, kind of like an unexciting game in a lot of ways. They're playing a team that started off the season pretty slow. Um, they're playing Tori Krug, who I couldn't tell if people were booing or saying Krug. Um, they were booing. I thought they were booing, which is so – that kind of stuff annoys me. Like, you liked him for so long, and he comes back, and it's not like he really want. like, I don't think he really wanted to leave. Um, like No, he wanted it, to be a career Bruin, and yeah, they, he, they he's literally meant, didn't offer him a contract. Yeah, he did not want to leave. He had to leave. His best friends are in Boston. He loves Boston. Don't boo him. Like, it's not – I understand, like, okay, you know, Red Sox fans booing a guy that goes to the Yankees because he's he decided he didn't want to play for the Red Sox anymore. Even then, I'm like, well, you liked him for, you know, however many yeah. years, and then he comes back Bo- and you boo him. Boston fans don't don't always uh, get that kind of stuff right. Like, like you said, like, there's examples of guys who just leave for more money or whatever, but, like – Krug didn't want to leave. You go back in the day, like I remember Adam Vinatieri got booed when he came back to Foxborough at the Colts. And that was the same thing. That was like a classic case of Belichick just like letting a guy go. Like Belichick didn't want Vinatieri anymore. He wanted to move on. And and yet he got booed. And it's like, come on. Like, yeah, we got we they, gotta use our brains. But they booed Jake DeBrusque when he asked for a trade. Well, that was more understandable. Like I, I can kind of. <laughs> I still I think that, that there's a, there's, but I still think there's like a level of class with dealing with it, where it's like, okay, obviously he has his issues with the team, and I still just don't understand booing your own team. I will say, and booing teammates that used to play here, and yeah. So Krug. Well, I I do know one person who wasn't happy with. Krug though uh Charlie Coyle and Krug like actually punched each other in the face after one of the whistles in front of the uh in front of Bennington um and I was kind of shocked by that because they played together so I wasn't expecting it and then they showed them on the bench too like still yelling at each other I mean in the box like yelling at each other so I was like oh okay I was I saw the scrum and then when I saw it was Krug I was like okay that was the last person I was expecting (laughs) Yeah, they they got into it pretty good. Um, you know, as far as the game as a whole, like definitely a big story for the Bruins with special teams. Uh, power play goes two for two, penalty kill three for three, and the the Blues really had a chance to get off to a good start in this game with a couple early power plays, and Bruins killed them. Then they get a power play of their own, and they score. Uh, Jake DeBrusque off. First, it was a really nice pass from Brad Marchand to David Pasternak. Pasternak couldn't quite settle it in time, so he had to then make a pass himself to DeBrusque for a nice finish. And then Bruins really let up in the second period and sort of sleptwalked through the period. St. Louis ties it. And then you get to the third, and I thought the Bruins really took over in the third for the most part. They put a lot of pressure on. They get another power play. They get six shots on goal with uh, a five forward unit before finally scoring uh, with Marchand setting up Bergeron in the bumper. Um, 
And that proves to be the decisive goal. Trent Frederick tacks on another. Um, but yeah, special teams were huge. And I thought the third period from the Bruins was really good. Um, you know, you're tied going in. You look at Saturday night's game against Toronto where they're down by a goal and they get two power plays, a chance, you know, to tie that game. And they didn't get a single shot on goal um, during those two power plays Saturday in Toronto. So for them tonight to get the power play and take advantage and, and grab the lead and take control of the game was um, a good way for the, for the team to bounce back and especially for the power play to bounce back. Brian, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> First time, long time. Uh, First time, long time caller. Brian's internet every episode. <laughs> it's always something with oh, me. Oh, Brian was at the game too. Brian was at the game. Scott mm-hmm. and I were on the ninth floor. Brian was in the garden trying to buy a Pooh Bear jersey somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, Brian, from from the from the stands, yeah. Uh, what what are some of the things you noticed about about tonight's game? Well, the first thing is I gotta I gotta tip my cap to uh, Scotty McLaughlin because he asked he asked Jim Montgomery about the uh, Mike Riley Jakob Zaboro pairing that um, you know I may or may not have been a little harsh on last episode depending on who you are um, and uh, to your to your question Bridget uh, I thought they struggled once again tonight although Jim Montgomery told Scotty that uh, he thought they were really well in Toronto so that was interesting uh, I don't know what game he was watching um, yeah, no, and I think not. Not sure he liked them as much tonight, given that uh, Jacob Zaboro literally did not play in the third period. Yeah, and I don't think he liked them in Toronto either. I, I just think that it's one of those things where you know Jimmy Dragons likes to you know toe the line of being a nice players coach and whatnot. And I get that, but you know they weren't very good in Toronto. I don't know what he was talking about. Um, but you know, overall, my thoughts on tonight's game against the Blues was it was just one of eighty-two, right? It was um, it wasn't the sexiest game out there. Um, but as you guys mentioned, they were strong on special teams, and oftentimes that kind of that gets you through to a to two points. Um, so they deserve credit there. Uh, you know, obviously St. Louis could have taken advantage of their three early power plays in the game. They didn't. Credit to the Bruins penalty kill, and then um, yeah, DeBrus' goal and Bergeron's goal in the third, timely goals, and they just kind of found a way to win a sleepy November game. Yeah, and and also credit to the Bruins for after taking three penalties in the first eleven minutes of the game, just not just being more disciplined. And and by the way, some of those calls were a little bit questionable. So you know, I, I'm thinking the refs were like, maybe we don't want to call the game this way, you know, with the whistles. But um, I want to break down thoughts on lines. So slightly different combinations than usual. And by the way, at some point in the game, they go back to the check line. Um, and they put Zaka back with Krejci and Pasternak. So um, I had originally like made some notes early in the game about how well the third line was playing with Foligno, Coyle, Zaka. Um, Coyle had a strong, a really strong game. At one point in time, Coyle was leading all forwards in ice time. I have to double check if where he finished, but yeah, he was right behind Pasternak. So he had he was one of the top three in ice time tonight and at a certain point he had the most because he was killing penalties and and he was out on the ice a lot I thought he had a strong game I thought that line um that line was a very hard working line and early in the game like they were they were creating chances they were transitioning they were getting the puck out of their own end um 
So I thought that that was a good combination and that's one that we hadn't seen too much um, earlier in the season. So what did you guys think of that line? And before it got broken up and they put Zaka back with the check line. Uh, yeah, I, I liked it too. Um, and it was interesting because I asked Montgomery about, you know, the decision to move Felino up to that line. And he said that it was, so I asked him that during after morning skate and he said it was more about matchup. He said, you know, I don't know if this is going to be like a longer term promotion or whatever. And he also said, you know, he basically views the whole bottom six as like, as one big unit, like he doesn't necessarily view it as third and fourth line, even though obviously sometimes they're like, there is a noticeable difference there. And also um, there's a huge difference in minutes. If you look at tonight's game. Well, yeah, especially like a coil versus no sick. Like it's clear who the third line center is. Um, but he said it, it was for a matchup reasons. He liked the way that that could work against St. Louis, obviously the team where he just was last season that he's very familiar with. So, um, you know, we saw right out of the gate, he started with that line against uh, the Ryan O'Reilly line. So obviously he wanted that matchup. And yeah, I, I did think they played pretty well. Um, you know, obviously three bigger bodies that can protect the puck that should be able to get possession. Uh, you know, in theory, that line can do that with Frederick on the left as well. But Felino's really done it more consistently this season. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think Felino's played well enough this season that, you know, the idea of putting him on the third line is not crazy at all. Like, that he seems just as deserving as really any of the other wingers that they've been rotating through that line. Um, it was a promotion, and it was deserved, so. Yeah. Brian? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Felino's a top 10 player in the league this year. Um, oh, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I um, – yeah, no, I, I echo what Scott said. Um, for me, I, I was more so – you know, I was actually actually interested to see uh, Charlie Coyle and, uh, and Tori Krugel at it early on in the uh, – I think it was the first period. I thought that was um, – yeah, they uh, they ended up. They, I think Brian, you yeah. we talked about it, we but I think you were, while you were disconnected. <laughs> you were, oh, you were did gone. you guys? Oh, classic, yeah. classic. Yeah, I got my hotspot going here, which is crazy considering I pay for Wi Fi, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> you know, it's what it is. Uh, so yeah, that was good. Um, as far as you know, the bottom six goes, Trent Frederick kind of gets a 4 2 with his bounce, but that's what happens when you put it to the net. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was just, I was wondering if that at first I was like, did that deflect off Nosek? But no, it kind of looked like it straight went, through the screen. It's kind of found its way in, you know. It was like a it was like a little ski ball ski ball round when you you know you, you accidentally get the thousand points there. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like I said earlier, it was just kind of one of those games where you find a way to win. I didn't think anybody was outstanding. I didn't think anybody was you know porous. Um, I just think that it's a game that good teams find a way to win. And the Bruins, the Bruins did that. I was, uh, I don't know if you guys mentioned this as well when I was off the grid, but um, uh, were you guys expecting at some point maybe to see McAvoy tonight? Um, You know, I know obviously they did the pregame, you know, lines this morning and whatnot, but uh, do you have any, any sense of a timetable for him? Do you think maybe later this week or, or what? No, I I think we're, I think we're at the point where like 
I wouldn't be surprised on any given day, but what I'm watching is the same thing they did with Marsh. And I think once you see that first practice where he gets moved up with either Lindholm or Grizzly, that means he's ready. Um, until that happens, I that's going to be the tip off to me is we see him in practice or morning skate next to Lindholm or Grizzly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as of like, for the time being still, still without forward, obviously. Um, but for the time being that Clifton Lindholm pair is working very well. Um, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast would never have thought that would be a pair at some point, you know, early in the season, but here we are and always just positive things to say about Clifton, like coach always takes the opportunity to, to credit Clifton. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have really all that much to say about the defense. Um, but I think that's a good thing besides the whole Saboral Riley pair getting, you know, much fewer minutes and everything. Um, but I, I did want to talk about Taylor Hall. Um, because as we, as we referenced, Zaka gets promoted, I guess you could say, to the second line to become the check line, to reunite the check line. But Taylor Hall gets pushed back to the third line with Charlie Coyle um, and Nick Foligno. And I just felt like that was um, something Coach did purposefully to kind of be like, hey, like you're going to the third line for now for a little bit. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Um. Yeah, like, was I think, it I think emotion, just, or I think he it... just needed more from the middle six in general. Like, especially in that second period where, like I said earlier, the Bruins just got sleepy and really seemed to open the door for St. Louis to get back in. So, I look at it more as it was just it was time to change something because they weren't generating much that period. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, you know, obviously Zaka with Krejci and Pasenak is a combination they've used before. The, you know, it is interesting going to the Hall on, on the third line because last year Hall and Coyle didn't have very good chemistry. Their games just didn't really seem to mesh. Um, you know, I don't think we saw really a ton from that line either way. Like they, they you know, I'm trying to, like, I don't remember any, really great chances that they had. I remember a couple shifts where they did possess the puck in the offensive zone. So that's, you know, something, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that's a line we're going to see longer term. I would expect Hall back with Krejci and Pasternak next game. Um, but in this game, I think it made sense to try to change something because they sort of needed a, a little bit of a jolt in that second period. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that Hall and Coyle have a ton of chemistry either, but they have they have played a, a decent amount together at this point on the second power play unit, and I think they've kind of, uh, you know, I think it's maybe a little bit unfair that we, we sit here and criticize their lack of chemistry based off of their half a season together last year early on. I mean, I, I don't think it was the greatest situation for them to gain, to gain chemistry. That's and also, set- I, we are looking at it in contrast to the great chemistry that he had with Krejci. So, like, we had already mm-hmm. been, like, contrasting yeah. that. 
Yes. And, and compile that with what Scott just said a few minutes ago. Like it's not, that's not their intended combination anyway. So um, not only do they, we don't, it's not, it's all, it's kind of like we don't really want them to have a ton of chemistry together because we don't really want that to be a combination. Um, but um, I guess I digress. Uh, as far as dropping down Taylor Hall, you know, I saw an interesting situation in New York recently where the Rangers dropped, uh, you know, clearly a top six, if not top three forward for them. Former 50 goal scorer less than a year ago, Chris Kreider down to the fourth line. And Gerard Gerlant mentioned uh, when asked about it, yeah, he deserved to be there when dropping him down to the fourth line. So obviously Gerard Gerlant wasn't dropping down Chris Kreider to the fourth line for long term, but sometimes it doesn't hurt to just kind of send a little little message to a player over the course of a couple of periods, if not a whole game, like, you know, we need a little bit more. And I think this isn't the first time this year that we, where we've kind of talked about a Bruins game recap where we're like, eh, even in games where you scored, where it's kind of like, eh, Taylor Hall is a little quiet, but he had that goal in the third period, but he was a little quiet. So I, I do think we would like to see Taylor Hall impose his will a, bit, a little bit more and impose his skill set. Um, and back off people with the speed and kind of just uses his frame. Um, I have one last one last thing that I wanted to get your opinion on. So at if at least in the first period, um, this like stuck out to me. But uh, fourth line combination of Frederick Nosek Smith. I feel like that's like the weakest combination they've had the whole year on the fourth line. Like I think that it. It's like you put all of your guys that are underperforming on the same line, and there just was not a lot of um, – I I just felt that it was not working for a lot of the game. Obviously, Frederick got two chances late. Um, but in my mind, it wasn't a line that's like consistently physical. Frederick can be physical, but he hasn't been consistently physical. Um, Nosek can't finish. Frederick hasn't been able to finish – uh, he does today, obviously, and Smith completely snake bitten or or however you want to you know describe Smith's game. So in my mind, I thought it was one of the weakest fourth line combos that they had. I don't know if that's something you guys agree with. Um, I, I mean, in the sense that to your point that like they're underperforming, yes, but also like Frederick and Smith are guys who have you know, had some success on a third line. So in theory, like they, they should be able to handle playing on a fourth line just fine. Um, I was, almost would rather odd game Monday because like they, the, that line just didn't play much. I mean, Smith ended up at 627. Frederick played 837. Like they just run on the ice a lot and they end up, they end up getting the goal in, in the third period uh, to go up th- to make it three to one. So they end up with a, you know, a nice result, but yeah, clearly like that. I don't know. I guess just wasn't a line that Montgomery trusted a lot, planned to use a lot. He really just rode the top three lines, which all ended up pretty close in minutes. And the fourth line kind of was kind of just left to, you know, left to clean up duty to get shifts when, you know, when they actually needed a fourth line. I mean, my uh, my take after what's it been? Twelve games, thirteen games at this point, eleven and two. 
Um, I think the most effective fourth unit has been the combination of Nosik, Felino, and Lauko. Um, and by the way, Lauko was optioned back to Providence this morning. So yes, exactly. He was he was uh, he was assigned to Providence. But if if I'm being honest, that trio has kind of um, it's they've um, they've almost known their respective roles in that line, and and therefore they've known their role as a line in general. Uh, better than any other combo we've seen so far this year. Um, I think when you have Felino, Nosik, and Lauko as a fourth line, I think that their third line has been kind of um, – it's been pretty subjective as to what that best combo could be. Uh, injuries to Craig Smith, um, you know, early success from A.J. Greer, flashes from Trent Frederick – and consistent play from Coyle have kind of made it tough to gauge exactly what that best combo should be. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do feel like maybe Felino, Lauco, and and and, uh, and Nosek should get a little bit more more of a look. And, I, I and I, you know, maybe you guys can explain to me why Lauco went down. Um, and I know Felino's played well, so they wanted to give him a look and reward him. But, you know, if, if you're asking me, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, you know you kind of look at the bottom six as one big unit. Like the fourth line doesn't have to be strictly a checking line. They can produce offense too. So I think if you're asking me, that's been the best fourth line combo this year, but um, obviously they're tinkering with their toys. It's only November. And uh, maybe you guys can explain why Lavko might have gone down to Providence and maybe what you guys see from the bottom six combination so far. Yeah. I, I wonder if Lavko got sent down just because maybe they didn't, see him playing over the next few games, the next week or so. And so you send him down so he can play in Providence. Um, because they do, they do actually have an extra roster spot. Now, I guess the other thing, if you want to really be optimistic is they think they're getting really close to activating McAvoy. And so that, that fills out your roster because Lauko is definitely the most natural option to send down once McAvoy's activated. Um, then you probably go with 13 forwards and eight defensemen until Fulbert returns. And then you have to make another move on defense. But um, yeah, I mean, Lucko can go, go up and down whenever. So that it's always a very easy transaction, but I do still think like he's obviously young enough that if he's not, if he's not going to be in the lineup, at least like every other game, then it's probably better for him to be playing regularly in Providence. Um, You know, and like you still have AJ Greer as a healthy scratch tonight and he's been pretty good for the most part. So he's someone you want to get in the lineup and, you know, Smith's been in and out of the lineup and had some good games, had some quiet games. Obviously I think uh, Monday night was, was on the quieter side. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's a lot of bodies and Loco is just an easy. He's been good, but I also don't think like he's been he's been so good that he absolutely needs to stay in the lineup type thing. Um, you know, so like I said, he's he's an easy one to send down, and he can probably benefit from playing down in Providence. Uh, you know, getting big minutes, all situations, all that. I think one thing that's important for Bruins fans to remember throughout the as the season goes along is to not not so much harp on 
um, what you what you want the perfect combination to be uh, here in November and December. Again, it's all about uh, it's all about working towards April, working towards May, figuring out who's who's going at the right times and what combinations make the most sense come April. Right? I mean, up until then, it's just a it's a plug and play. You know, it's lines could lines could look really good in November, but uh, or they could look really bad. But again, it's just about kind of gaining enough points in the standings throughout the regular season. And once we get past, you know, once we get into March, I think that's a really good time to start judging. All right. What do we really want our lines to be until then there's different reasons to send certain guys up, certain guys down um, as Scott kind of alluded to with Loco and others and McAvoy on his way back. So um, while it's fun to kind of discuss the perfect combinations right now, it it's really not realistic to try to, um, anticipate certain combos being together all year long. It's just not realistic. So, uh, yeah. And, and part of it is we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Someone's probably going to get traded at some point soon when McAvoy comes back. So you might have to reevaluate the situation with the lines at that point in time anyway. Or more accurately at this point, probably when Forber comes back, they got that extra time built in by true, you know, by him getting hurt. True, and he's still what four weeks out, about at least, yeah, yeah. So that does give them a little bit more time, but nonetheless, um, they will will have to reevaluate at that point. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about from the game? Okay, well, Bridget, I, uh, you know, they have um, they have Calgary coming up on Thursday, and they have the Sabers coming up on Saturday. Um, so couple big tests. Obviously, Calgary is a good team in general, and Buffalo is playing really well so far this year. But I think right now is a great time to um, expound upon the the news from this, this weekend. Um, expound? Well, <laughs> you know, you and I got a chance to speak on it, but Bridget hasn't. And, uh, and, since, and we last, since we last spoke, they have released uh, Mitchell Miller. So, you Which know. is kind of like a admission of – being stupid right like oh. they had to release him the saga lasted not even a full weekend really i mean it started like friday night and by yeah. sunday night it was like gone like i said the reason why i didn't have a chance to respond to it or or, or talk about it was because it was just such a short amount of time like i i wasn't here for two days and it's begun and it's ended you know what i mean like it the whole process of the whole thing was short which honestly like really really good news because i don't want it like i'm glad it's not going to be something we have to talk about because i i mean on Saturday I'm texting you guys and I'm like well in like a few weeks we'll probably have to like have another guest on from Providence what they see from him how the teammates are responding like it would have been like this whole thing in the background like okay like what's he being like in Providence do his teammates have a problem with him and now we don't have to worry about that at the very least um so that's good and I don't have to spend any extra energy hopefully besides today (laughs) um talking about you know what the hell they were thinking and well, well unless there's a legal battle coming up which which we can get to but there could be and that's, that's very just, much in play which and in that case like someone has to get fired like 
if there's a legal battle at the end of all of this, plus all of the publicity that the the negative publicity that was so much worse than they expected how i don't know how they didn't see it coming i don't know um but it's it's not like back in the day where you could like do this in ohio and it doesn't catch up to you like it's it's on the internet like there's social media there like everybody's in communication with each other so i don't know why they thought people were going to be okay with that um it's it's and it's also like the excuse where it's where people are saying oh you know he was a dumb 14 year old uh, we were all dumb 14 year olds um i knew a lot of dumb i was a very smart 14 year old speak for yourself okay well <laughs> you were surrounded by people who were not and the worst thing i can think of that people in my middle school would get in trouble for would be like they got caught drinking and they're too young like literally that you give someone a, ch- a second chance for, like they were drinking and they were underage. Like it, there's certain things that are not just like an accident. And I think that what he did was very clearly like part of um, a meaner spirit that he has somewhere like within him, because that's just not something that you do. I've never even heard anyone like even dumb teenagers don't really usually use the n-word and don't beat people up so it's a court case a lot of it is documented because of that and the thing that annoys me is that the more reporting comes out about like other teams that were also interested in him and other colleges as well thinking about maybe bringing him in like why why did the Bruins think this was a good idea when everyone else was well not everyone else because actually we have heard that some teams were also interested but like they are they end up being I don't know if they tried to pull the trigger because they're like oh we're gonna beat everyone to the punch like we're gonna get this kid and he's good because he had a great season and was player of the year in the USHL or if other teams were like we'll see what happens with the other teams first like at this point no, everybody knows not to touch him based on what happened. Like, I don't think he's going to play for a college team. I don't think he's going to play for another team. I just don't see it based on the horrible amount of backlash it got being well, something where he goes somewhere else and plays for like the Coyotes because they already caught him. Like, you know what I mean? Like goes to another NHL market and for some reason is like accepted there. Here's the one way he could still get back uh, and um oh but his, wait his Harry, Bettman, useless... Harry Bettman said that he couldn't play so what would be the point of even trying well not right now but what I'm about to lay out is the path back for him his agent Eustace King uh was on the Cam and Strick podcast on uh Monday this got dropped I think like during the the Bruins game but I listened to it on my drive home most of it and his agent claim you know i'll say claims because it's his agent's account obviously his agent has a vested interest um says that uh the conversations between mitchell miller and the victim isaiah meyer crothers uh was more extensive than just a like instagram message apology he said he claims they were talking for basically a full month we're going back and forth had talked on the phone and we're planning to meet in person 
at some point as of the time that the Bruins signed them and everything went down, they hadn't been able to actually like set a concrete plan for meeting in person. Um, Isaiah now lives in Detroit, uh, has a family and job there. And so their schedules hadn't lined up yet, but his agent Eustace King believes that they were making progress. I would say if that's true and you end up with some face-to-face meeting and, you know, Isaiah comes out and says whatever, he forgives them or they're working together, whatever, maybe then there's some sort of path back. Maybe that allows Gary Bettman to, you know, declare him eligible to play or something. But again, we don't know if, that's going to happen or even if that's entirely a truthful account or we just don't know it, we know it hasn't happened yet because obviously we would have known about it um and you know so like and that's the thing where it's like if there really was this progress being made or whatever then that should have been out there or the it's even more reason for the bruins to talk to Isaiah and or his family at some point to like figure out like was this act is this actually happening is there actually progress because if if you find that out that that's happening and you know some meeting is on the horizon between them or whatever like now you have something to stand on when all this backlash comes and you can say look here's what they're actually doing here's concrete steps that they're taking that they're working towards something that uh, that Mitchell Miller is, you know, is actually doing something. And it wasn't just a quick Instagram message. Hey, I'm sorry. You know, a week before you sign an NHL contract. Again, that's one side. It's a side that wasn't out there, but it all comes back to, for me, the Bruins not doing enough research in the first well, place. Either way, to, to discover, to find out the other side from... Isaiah Meyer Crothers and his family to figure out what was happening there. Like I asked Don Sweeney if he had a feel for how the conversations between Mitchell Miller and Isaiah, how were those conversations received on Isaiah's end? And he straight up said he didn't know. He said he didn't even ask about it. And it's like, this is why you have to ask about it. This is why you have to know because when that criticism comes out and everyone's saying that Mitchell Miller, you know, went six years without apologizing, didn't, you know, apologize the last week. And it was only an Instagram message. Like if you're signing him, you better have your work done to be able to show that that's not true and that there's more to it. And so good or bad, they just didn't have, they just didn't do enough vetting. And Cam Neely on Monday morning admitted as much. He said they they failed to properly vet him. Like that's that's just inexcusable because you would have either had they done that, they would have either found enough bad stuff that contradicted Mitchell Miller and Eustace King's accounts that they wouldn't have signed him in the first place, or they would have discovered enough that corroborated their accounts to say you know what we have enough to stand on 
we're comfortable doing this because when that backlash comes, we can point to this, this, and this as concrete evidence that, you know, an accusation that whatever, that he hasn't talked, he hasn't apologized, that that's not true because we, we have this to stand on. So either way, they didn't, they didn't do enough and they got caught basically like the, they just got, they got called on their bullshit and they couldn't, they didn't have support either way to, to back up what they had done. Yeah. And so another question that was asked that was giving, given a non-answer was um, to what extent do you feel misled that about what Mitchell and his agent told you? And Neely said, I can't talk about that. So, um, you know, he had a chance to, to say, I don't know legally if that would have been a problem if he said like, yeah, they misled us or what, yeah, or if it would have looked think... even worse that then the other side goes, no, we didn't like could have been. You know. Right. So part of that, I wonder is that might be the way that the Bruins try to get out of the contract is if they can make a compelling argument that uh, Mitchell Miller and his agent, misled them then maybe that's grounds to terminate the contract because otherwise they have to buy it out which means you're still paying all that money and there'd be a a small annual cap hit attached to it i think someone had the math earlier i think it would be like 150 or 200,000 a year for like four years or something um which is obviously not what the Bruins want to do. They don't, they would like to just get completely out of the contract. So I'm sure they're, they're trying to look for ways to do that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they also didn't even like double check that the NHL was like on board with it. Like didn't, didn't think to be like, Hey guys, uh, is this is this guy actually allowed to play? <laughs> and Gary Bettman coming in and just like absolutely slamming them after. Which even that we now have conflicting. And I'm sorry to like block you out, Brian, but um, even even now, like we have conflicting reports on that because Cam Neely said on Monday that Don Sweeney did talk to Bill Daly, who is you know second in charge, and it, by the way, is Angel's like chief legal officer or counsel or I forget his official title, but like he would have actually like, he probably would have been the guy to talk to. And when Gary Bittman said that, I think Bill Daly was there with him. Like I don't, so I don't know where there was confusion there because then Bettman saying he talked to Neely after and, you know, had to explain it, the situation to him. But it's like, well, if, if you're Neely and you knew that, Don Sweeney talked to Bill Daly. Wouldn't you have told Gary Bettman that? Like it. So somewhere along the way, there's a, even a breakdown there, and it's like, now that's just there's so much conflicting information, and ultimately, I think it all comes back to the Bruins just weren't buttoned up. They didn't. They didn't do enough, and there was too. There was way too much gray area and wiggle room and stuff that they either didn't seek answers for or didn't get answers for, but certainly over the weekend didn't have answers for. I mean, we can all agree public perception either way is that this was a total unnecessary disaster. And like 
you go from having your job seem pretty secure because the team's on such a winning streak to having people calling for your job. People flooded the Bruins, uh, you know, with emails and phone calls and ownership, I'm sure had something to do with the the turnaround. Um, they saw what was going on. So public perception wasn't worth it. None of it ends up being worth it because you have to get rid of the guy in two days and you might end up like still having to pay his contract. Absolutely unnecessary craziness. Sorry, Brian. Floor is yours. No, 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 no. I appreciate the breather, guys. Great points. Um, I mean, I think if you're Don Sweeney and you're Cam Neely, you have two jobs. Number one is to put the best product on the ice as possible. Number two is to protect the image of the Boston Bruins organization. They failed at the latter immensely. Um, and if your ownership, it's like, you know, if I'm if I'm Jeremy Jacobs or Charlie Jacobs, it's like, Cam, buddy, I don't give a shit what you thought you knew or what you didn't know. The fact of the matter is our company, our organization is embarrassed and we look like absolute shit and we look like fools right now. And that's because of you and Don and your lack of leadership. Now, what I didn't now, by the way, I want to preface this by saying I love Cam Neely as a player. And quite frankly, I've been a huge fan of him as an executive. The first time where I kind of was a little bit down on him was how they handled the Bruce Cassidy firing because I did think that he was a bit of a scapegoat. Despite the hiring, the eventual hiring of a of, of Jim Montgomery, who at the time we didn't know was going to be the hire and uh, has done a good job since then. But that doesn't change the, what I believe that their intent was in the moment, which was to kind of deflect from their wrongdoings and to make Bruce Cassidy a 6.67% you know, winning coach, the scapegoat. That was the first time, and that was only a few months ago, where I kind of got down on, Don, on uh, Cam Neely as an executive. And then um, you know, right now, it's just like he had a chance to go in front of Scott and others in the media and, uh, and, and the entire fan base and public eye. And takes some sort of accountability. And I just heard way too much. I was under the assumption. I was told. It's like, Kim, if you're relying on Scout X, Y, and Z, and and and, and you know, and Don's relying on these guys, and you guys just don't follow through as the executive leaders of this management core, this management brass. That's ultimately on you. You guys make the final decisions. You like no. You have to look at Cam Neely and Don Sweeney as like as like they're like kind of obviously the Jacobs are the bosses, but they're out in Buffalo. They're on their yachts. They're having caviar. They're you know they're sipping they're sipping you know great. I would not want to be. I would not want to be on a yacht in Buffalo. <laughs> here here in uh here on Causeway Street. Make no mistake about it. Don Sweeney and Cam Neely are running the show, and when you have your subordinates making decisions and you're just like kind of taking their word for it and you're not overseeing things and crossing T's and dotting I's I'm sorry, but that's on you. Like you can't, you can't expect some random ass scout who's like literally middle to low chain on a depth chart in your organization to like be responsible for the ultimate signing of a player. Um, You know, well, on, like, on, on, on Monday, like I, I felt like without naming him, Cam Neely was putting a lot of blame on Don Sweeney because 
he I, like I asked him how involved ownership was, and he said they were made aware, but it was a hockey operations decision. And you go on the Bruins website where the staff is listed, you look at hockey operations. The first name there is general manager Don Sweeney. That is his department. So if you're saying it's a hockey operations decision, as is who? As is who? Did you say? Did you say a second name, Scott? No. Okay, sorry. Never mind. Why? Who? Who are you? No, no, no. no. I, I thought you. I thought you said Don Sweeney, as is somebody else. I thought you said oh no, no, no. Don Sweeney's the first name. That's his department. Um, so if you're saying it's a hockey operations decision, and you know they didn't do their vetting, to me, you're talking about Don Sweeney. So uh, now I would say, I think Cam Neely should be looking in the mirror and taking some responsibility because. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can say that, you know, hey, I, I told them they needed to vet it thoroughly and whatever. I trusted them. I, I need to figure out where where it broke down or whatever. But it's like, well, you should have been following through already. Like, you should have been on top of that the whole way through, making sure that he was vetted thoroughly. So it read to me like Cam Neely told Don Sweeney, like, okay, just make sure you do your homework and now he's like disappointed that they didn't. But if you're, if you're the team president, like you've got to be hands on on something like this. It almost feels like when you bring up the Cassidy thing in context with it, like scapegoating down the line, right? We scapegoat the lowest guy in the totem pole. And then when that guy's gone, who else are you going to, who else are you going to say, okay, well, you know, coach, and then there's GM and then there's, president so it's like you're you're going a little bit down the line each time and then once you get rid of one you're like okay well next it's you um to try to buy yourself a little bit more time but any anyway that's you know neither here nor there but uh the idea that Sweeney might be in trouble is like in my mind like a very legitimate thing because they usually throw Sweeney out to do a press conference about certain things. And they threw Cam Neely out there and Don Sweeney was not available to talk to. Um, So I just thought that was interesting. Usually they either both do it or you have Sweeney do it. um, And he was not there. So I feel like they're evaluating a few, a few people's role in this in deciding what to do. Well, I do think, I do think if, if we're casting, if I'm casting blame, Despite my uh, criticism of Cam Neely a few minutes ago, I, I do start with Don Sweeney because he is the general manager. He, this is this does fall under his jurisdiction. Now, obviously, Cam has certain say over certain signings, and I don't doubt this was one of them. But I don't. I I can see a more a, a, a situation where 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 Cam as a president. Again, you do put X amount of faith and trust in your GM to present to you a, a situation after it's been vetted to a certain extent. Like, like Cam is overseeing from a macro perspective, and I do think he relies on Don and others to present him something after it's been vetted to a certain point. And I can see why Cam would be let down. I do think he, in this, in most circumstances, I can understand why he wouldn't be so involved. In this circumstance. Don, I mean, um, not Don. Cam should have gone above and beyond to make sure things were vetted. With that said, I do 
feel if we're casting blame between um, Cam and Dawn, I do think Dawn should get most of it of those two because this does fall under his direct jurisdiction and his job title. And if if Cam is deceived or there's details left out to Cam from certain scouts or whomever, it sure as hell shouldn't be the same case with Dawn. For Dawn to be deceived or whatever you want to call it, misinformed, that's just it. Either he was – it's like that line from Casino. Either he was in on it or he was too dumb to realize. Either way, he's an idiot. Um, you're, you're either you're either in on the misinformation or you're too dumb to acknowledge that you were being deceived. And that's on Don. And I, I you know, um, what 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 stands out to me the most, guys, is at the end of the day, this whole blunder put so much negativity and bad PR and embarrassment on the organization, like. That's on that's on Don Sweeney first and foremost. No matter who's underneath him providing him information or lack thereof, that's your job as GM. It's your job to protect the organization's image, as is Cam's job. But come on, it's it's a little bit more on Don than it is Cam. And uh, I also I also maybe 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 because Don wasn't there today. I don't know. I mean, I, I you know one one thing I do want to point out. And this could be superficial, but I just want to point it out. If Cam and or ownership wanted to release Don from his duties right now, do you think they want to do that in the middle of a David Pashmack negotiation and bring in a new GM to handle that? That's Again, I hate to bring it up because it's superficial, but it's part of the business. Do they want to get rid of Don right now if he's making traction with uh, with Pashmack's agent in the, in the new contract? I don't know. They might be waiting for that shoot to fall. So. Yeah, or uh, maybe they fit, you know, I don't know, maybe Neely and possibly even Charlie Jacobs. Like, I don't know if they have a relationship with Pasenacker's agent where that could still continue. But, you know, as far as... I think if we see that Sweeney does get fired, maybe that indicates that he wasn't as far along as they said he was with the the whole Pasenak thing. I don't think it would have anything to do with Pasenak, honestly. It would be all about this situation. One, yeah, one no, I'm other. saying it would mean that maybe they they were like, ah, you know, we could probably handle this on our own. Uh, maybe. I, I just think that they're two separate things. But um, on this, like as far as whether Sweeney's in jeopardy, my just my my gut reaction, and you know, no inside info here. I don't think Sweeney's going to be fired. I think he survives this, but I definitely would not be shocked if he doesn't. Uh, and if let's remember that going back to last season, Sweeney went through the whole season without a contract extension and nearly said after the, after the year, when they finally did uh, decide to extend him, that he wanted to see how the season went and they can spin that however they want, but that tells me that Sweeney's seat was uh, at least a little bit warm. It, like if you're, if the team president doesn't want to commit to you and wants to see how a season goes, that means that if he doesn't like what you did during that season, you're out of a job. So it's not like, you know, just within the last year, we know there was a time where they 
maybe didn't have 100% confidence in Sweeney. And they ultimately did decide to extend him. But you wonder if, like, if they're already kind of close before or were at least considering it, like, would something like this, you know, kind of put it over the top where they'd say, you know what? We weren't, like, totally, totally convinced, uh, you know, a year ago anyways. And now this happens and, like, it could be a final straw type thing. Again, my my instinct is it doesn't happen and, and Sweeney survives. Um, but it's certainly in play, the, especially the, the way that Neely talked on Monday and, like, how – at the very least, how genuinely frustrated he was and perhaps even outright angry. Like he, I thought, I don't think he was putting on an act with how kind of how upset he sounded Monday morning. Like, I I think a good chunk of that was genuine. I just don't know why this is the hill. Like you want to die on if you're Don Sweeney, like what is the need to sign this kid? Like what? What is the need? I feel like it's like the Heimblum effect. Like we gotta find the guy that no one's thinking of, and we're gonna bring him in, and we're gonna like he's gonna be the guy. Like we're gonna look smart, which the exact opposite happened. But like you know, trying to find the guy that you that's out there, that's good, that you like other teams aren't gonna pick up on. Like why is this the hill you want to die on? Also shows to me a disconnect between so many levels, Don Sweeney, and so many levels of the organization. Um, in particular, the players, because you would think Don Sweeney would have understood how this would play to someone like Patrice Bergeron, to other guys in the locker room who like Felino and, and, and Marshawn, who have talked about how this doesn't jive with the whole culture of the team. Like you would think Don Sweeney should be part of creating the culture of the team and not, and knowing what it is and not like going against that. And um, so it showed a disconnect between him and the players, him and the scouts or whoever was giving him the information, him and Neely, if it's true that Neely was not told everything and him and ownership. So it just kind of shows like he wasn't bringing all of those pieces together to make a smart decision. And there, but there were also, in addition to that, Bridget, there were also non-players in the organization who spoke against this, you know, slash said, guys, this is not a good idea. So between your leadership players saying no, certain people in the organization saying no, not speaking to the kids' family, not speaking to the league aside from Bill Daly, apparently, um, and yet you still go ahead with it. Now – to Scott's point earlier about Cam being actually upset and that not being an act this morning at his press conference, I believe that. I watched it. I I saw disappointment in his face. Um, I also saw embarrassment. But the one thing that had nothing to do with the organization that was just a total miscalculation from the Bruins, including Cam Neely, and he said as much, and to me this is inexcusable, was – not understanding that there would be backlash because, and I said this on the last episode, it's like, it is, it's insulting to Bruins fans, not as hockey fans, as individuals. Like, uh, what? 
you didn't think that people would be upset about this. First of all, for the morality reasons. And second of all, for a business perspective, like you have a team that's off to a phenomenal start and you're going to add this distraction into the team. And it's like for them not to understand that like their fans are actually smart individuals and good people um, who would disagree with this move on so many aspects and levels. And Cam nearly said as much. Uh, didn't expect it from the fans. We thought a couple would be upset. Really, Cam? Like, <laughs> what are you thinking? Like, how dumb are you? Like, seriously. Like, I know you were in Dumb and Dumber, but you were really dumb here. Um, like, what? How, how did you? And, and honestly, somebody asked them. They were like, "Well, how did you expect your fans to react?" Yeah, I thought. I thought you know they would. I thought they would be um, all about second chances, except for maybe a couple people. That's why they're so dumb? Like Cam and Don. Like they, in their own rights, they were. Cam was a phenomenal hockey player, and Don was a really good NHL defenseman, but. I got to tell you, they they just live in their own fantasy world where they just have no sense of reality outside of professional sports um, as they know it. It's like, guys, do you understand? And, and Scott and I, Bridget, I know you were, you were away last episode, but it's like Scott and I talked about it. It's like, like for example, and, and by the way, this is not cancel culture. Like we are, I am not about cancel culture. I hate cancel culture. This is about like having common sense to understand like, like people, people, I see people online be like, oh, the Boston media drove it. Boston media had nothing to do with this. Every single media outlet across North America was against this. And every fan base across North America was against this. Like this has nothing to do with Bruins media or Bruins fans. Everybody hated this. But like well, every single comment on the thing that they posted about Brad Marshawn getting like, what was it? 800 points or whatever. Underneath it, 515 comments, like pretty much every single one was that's cool get rid of Mitchell. Yeah. Like that was right. all every single, that's not us. We were not doing that. I was not commenting on their Instagram post being like, get rid of, <laughs> oh, no, no, it was hundreds, thousands of fans right. that were, that were every single post that they put up. It was like, cool, but get rid of Mitchell Miller. Like that was just, they were getting blown up on social media, emails, phone calls. Apparently there was like an auto reply like that kept going out, like we're receiving a too high of a volume or whatever. So, I mean, that was fans. And, well, and like, I saw fans saying like, you know, today, like, Hey, good job guys. Because like we were able to actually show them that's not okay. And, 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 you know, one, one, one example, Bridget, that Scott and I went over last episode was like, again, just to speak to, to Don and Cam's like own little hockey bubble and like all they think about is hockey from 1984 to like 2022 and their connections within the game. One it's year like president and one year GM. And you just signed a kid who look, none of us, we've read the detail, but none of us were, none of us were there. Like we can't personally speak to everything that happened between Mitchell Miller and and Isaiah and, and all that for all those years. But like, we can only go off of the information available to us. And that information available to us is also available to Don and Cam, the Bruins and all of their partners. And they went out and they signed this kid who in the public eye was guilt, pled guilty for essentially verbally and, you know, whatever, abusing um, a black mentally, mentally disabled 
um, you know, student. And here is here's Don and Cam signing this kid when they just partnered up with Rapid Seven as their jersey sponsors for the next handful of years. And Rapid Seven's CEO, um, I have his name, Corey Thomas. He he is black and he has a mentally disabled child. And it's just like you you guys just are in your own little hockey bubble. Like you don't understand like the corporate partners you have and like they're just they're so out to lunch. And it's like you really, really guys, you relied on like a couple of random scouts, like and the best part is Cam sitting there saying, Oh, I went there and I met with I met with uh Mitchell Miller and he seemed remorseful. He seemed like he changed. He changed Cam. Changed from what? The first time you met him? You dumbass. You never met him before. And like I I, I watched a video of um of Mitchell Miller after all this happened. His one of his draft interviews with the uh, Coyotes social media. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this kid was winning any Nobel Prizes anytime soon. He um kind of whatever, I'm not gonna get into it, but he didn't he just didn't seem like the brightest bulb in the tree. Um so I don't really see how this kid convinced anybody he was remorseful because he literally reached out for an apology just because he wanted to play hockey. Um, so for, for Don and Cam to, to, to believe that and get the wool pulled over their eyes over that facade, it's embarrassing, honestly. That's my TED Talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his so his agent, Yusuf King, like talked about that meeting uh, on the Cam and Strick podcast as well and said that it was something like five hours um and sweeney was there neely was there uh other members of the team were there he said ownership like stopped in i don't know if that was in person or like a phone call or something um i guess there was like a psychiatrist there there are people from local chat like i guess it was pretty in depth but um again that that's you know that's his agent's side so who knows? But um, yeah, if I had another point here and I forget what it was, so it's late. Yeah, it's very late. It's late, so I don't blame you. Um, I think that's all I want to say because I'm like over it. Like I just I'm glad that they did. They were forced to do the right thing, and um, you know now they're gonna have to deal with potential financial legal whatever that's their own fault that's on them they need to get it off their hands as quick as possible they realize that at some point during the weekend um and this very brief saga is hopefully over to the point where it's like okay we're not we're not talking about it for the players are very grateful they don't have to answer questions about it anymore they oh, weren't yeah, that, asked that reminds anything. me of the point i was going to make like in addition to I did it. In addition to underestimating like everything that Brian mentioned, like they also put way too much on the players. Like Don Sweeney said on Friday that, you know, part of bringing them in is they felt like they had a strong enough organization and team to be able to help them. And it's like, okay, well, part of that means the players because they're ultimately like, they're the ones who set the culture. Like it was, it was the Dan of Char and Patrice Bergeron who set this culture reset that began, you know, in 2006. And it wasn't Cam Neely and Don Sweeney that did that. Um, 
so without directly saying it, like that's who you're talking about that's gonna help him. And Brad Marshall yeah, was asked about this. Here you go, this. Patrice. Fix him. Yeah, and like Brad Marshall was asked about this on on Monday. You know, like, and he basically said, like, you know, I think they thought like maybe we would like be able to help fix him or whatever. And Martian said, like, you know, I don't really, I don't know if I'm really wording that right, but like, yeah, like it was kind of a lot to ask. And it's like, also, like, if you look at your room, Bergeron's not going to be there when this kid would have been ready to play in the NHL anyways. Felino wasn't going to be there. Martian might not be there depending on how long his development takes. So it's like, so now what? Like now you're putting that on Pasternak and McAvoy. Like that's, none just none of it was was a good idea or or well thought out and even like even your staff in providence where he's gonna start it's like ryan mushanel's in what his second year as head coach down there and now you're giving him this project to manage and like ryan mushanel by all accounts is you know a great mentor and great communicator and like great with working with young kid like prospects but like, that's a huge ask of him too. And it's a huge ask of players down there. Like it's just, they, they put a lot of people in, in a bad position. It's very clear that like no one wanted to be in that position. Like the players did not want to have to mentor this kid or bring him along or, you know, try to see the good in him. Like they're in the, like they just didn't want to deal with it and they shouldn't have to, like if they express those concerns, and so, like, we we would kind of rather you didn't sign him. That should have been the end of it. Like, it should have been over right then. One last thought on, like, what what Mitchell Miller must have been, like, thinking through this. Like, if you – like, you have to not understand how people work, like, from his point of view, too. Like, you, you should know that if you ever want to try to make it back in the NHL, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. You're not just going to take the easy road and you're not just going to get there. Like he would have had to put in a lot of work and like maybe still like, you know, try to salvage maybe a career at some point by doing the hard work, the extra work, showing, proving there's no way that, you know, where he, the, the ground that he stands on now was enough. Um, otherwise it would have been easier for Sweeney and Neely to be like, well, look at all this. So he took, tried to take the easy road too. And it ended up biting him in the ass hard because this made it like, this makes it much harder for him to make his way back. Yeah. And again, like if, if at some point he can get that bonding moment with Isaiah Meyer Crothers, like that could go a long way. And you know, it's because it it simultaneously obviously really sucks for Isaiah like to have all this brought up again. And it sounds like he 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 doesn't want to talk to media. He really doesn't want to be in the spotlight. Like both Eustace King said that and I believe his mother said that in, in one of her interviews. Um so it's like it sucks that he this is all being brought up again and like dragged back out when he's working a job in Detroit and raising a young child like that, you know, that just, it really blows for him. And, but like, I I do think for Mitchell Miller at some point, like there's going to, it would, 
I think his only chance is like if there is public forgiveness, acceptance, whatever, like from Isaiah. Like I almost think he's gonna need that at some point. And I don't know if that'll ever come. Like the way Eustace King talked on this podcast made it sound like he thinks it it might at some point, but again, that's that's one side of it. So who actually knows? Yeah, right, I mean y'all. I think I think I think we're all about uh I think we're all about second chances on this podcast. It's just a map, but you got you gotta you gotta earn it. You like you gotta you gotta show that you actually, you know, did wrong and you wanna make up for it. And that's just in my opinion, wasn't the case in this situation. So um probably one of the worst signings in Boston sports history based off of uh a lot of stuff we covered. Um not a good situation with the Bruins. But it looks like this would probably be the last podcast that we will even discuss this. So that's, that's good news. Oh, um, I don't know about that. I'm trying to, all right, well, well, it'll be hopefully a 10 minute segment, not a half hour, <laughs> whatever segment. Well, if we um, do talk about it again, it'll, it'll be because, you know, maybe somebody lost a job over it. I mean, I don't really see, uh, I don't really see a huge reason we'd have to t- discuss it again, unless something further felt, you know, happened, but, if it does, we'll be here, like we always are. Um, uh, I right. think I think it's time to wrap up because I gotta I gotta edit this, and there's no way I'm finishing that before one a.m. So. Yeah, I made a pizza too about an hour and a half ago. It's now cold, <laughs> so I gotta reheat that as well. So <laughs> I think we're all trying to get out of here. All right. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thank you.